Church has, hmm, has often ignored, and, um, but it hasn't at the same time. And if you've, uh, if you've been around here for a while, you know, one of the things that you can find here is we don't necessarily tell you what to think on a scripture. We read it, we ask some questions, We've got people in here who believe different things, but we believe Jesus is what brings us together. And the check in the box on the exact same belief is not what brings unity, Christ does, right? And so if, if you think creation happened in seven days and someone else thinks it happened over seven periods of time, there is room for us both at the table, right? And in, into tons of different ways and tons of different discussions, and yet we get to this passage, and I am going to say to you humbly but firmly, this passage is read wrong. And when it's read wrong, it has caused damage upon damage upon damage. And here in this community, we will distinctly say that is not the way to read it. And you might not know what I'm talking about yet, but we'll get there. And uh, I, I think it really matters. Um, if I were to name this one, I would call this sermon, it is one twisted theology and one pastoral thought and that's that's what we're going to look at in genesis 9 turn with me in in your bible or your device or whatever you've got to i would like it if you could look at this okay whatever translation you like but if you're willing on a device or on your bible uh genesis 9 20 through 25 is where we're going to be that that's the only thing you're going to have to look up this is after uh, Noah's Ark, this is after the covenant God speaks with Noah, this is what we read. Noah, a man of the soil, was first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he laid uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves, shall he be to his brothers. There's a lot in this and a lot that we don't understand and a lot that we do understand. We're just going to unpack this best we can, okay? So we're, we're going to look at uh, verse 20 at the end. So let's start in verse 23 here. There's an offense that Ham did here. He uncovered the nakedness of his father. There's a hundred people saying a hundred different things on what that means. And we could spend the next 20 months talking about what does the nakedness of uncovering the nakedness of my father mean? And people have done that. And I'll tell you, I don't think that would even be helpful for us. I, I, it might answer something that we're curious on, but really that's not the point of this passage at all. To first hearers, they probably knew what the nakedness of a father was. They probably knew what that meant, right? People who got this first recorded, that was a phrase they used, apparently. And we, we have other places in Scripture where that is used. 
But what has happened over time is people have focused on that part and then got sloppy on the rest of this. And the damage that has, has been caused by being sloppy on verses 24 and 25, uh, it just ripples through our culture today. And so we're going to leave that one curious. I don't know what caused this, okay? And we could talk about it later if you want, but I think the rest is a little more worth talking about. In first 24 and 25, Noah wakes up from his drunkenness. And let's note, drunkenness in Scripture is said, like, hey, don't go be drunk. Drinking, people have different opinions, right? A lot of people think, no, it doesn't say drinking. Some people say abstain from all of it. It's best to abstain. But drunkenness, not the best thing. But here, this isn't talked about as a sin. In this case, it's uh, actually some people said that this is the first vineyard. This is the first time Noah knew what comes from the vine and woke up the next morning. And God was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. You don't like that's not a good idea. <laughs> but whatever that is, that's not the point of this passage either. So let's if, if that's a something that you struggle with or have strong opinion, you can have those strong opinions, but let's even move on from that because that's not the point the author's making when noah wakes up he realizes that his son has done something to him and then he curses his son's son now we know if you were here a few weeks ago we talked about what a curse was in genesis god cursed the ground if you remember god cursed the serpent what the curse was, was God removing God's protection and God's favor from whatever was cursed. But it was something that God did. It wasn't like this hex. It wasn't this wishing poverty on somebody or, or bad things on somebody. It was God removing protection. But this is something different. This isn't, if you know, God doesn't curse. Noah does. Noah takes it on himself to curse and then say what's going to become of his grandson. You're going to be a slave. You're going to be a slave to your, to, uh, your brothers. And, and as we know, this is like the origin of all the, the people groups and all of this. We say in your people group is going to be a slave to other people's people group. Now, who, who is it that is named in, in verse 25? Who is it that's cursed? Canaan. Okay. So fast forward, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, Joshua's going into what's known as the promised land. He's leading a people into a place where they are going to become a nation. Where did they go? The land of Canaan. So this is recorded and kept later. This is recorded for the people who are in that land. We talked a few weeks ago. This was recorded at the time. It was word of mouth. It was known in the people, but it was recorded and kept at the time of David and, and later at the time of captivity in the land of Canaan where they had made a home. And so people at the time would read that Canaan and his family are to be slaves to their brothers. And at the time... This, hang with me, we'll make some sense of this. This curse of Canaan was rationalization for taking land. Taking land. We can go into Canaan. 
we can take the lamb because God said so. They're to be our slave. Canaan and Canaan's people are, are, are lesser. So then there's this thing. Do you remember in history class reading Manifest Destiny? You remember when that comes up? Hmm? You cut. That's, that's my friend right there. Let me give you a history lesson right now. When folks went west and California became California and Oregon and Washington became what they sort of were, there was this thing called Manifest Destiny. And Manifest Destiny came from a doctrine that was called the Doctrine of Discovery. And then that came from the Pope. And we're not bashing Catholicism here because we were all a part of it at that time. That was the global church, okay? The global church said, you cannot take a Christian's land. But if the person is not a Christian, that land is yours. And so people got on boats and came to the U.S. and said, you all don't know Jesus like we know Jesus. So we're going to take your land and name it the U.S. And they went to Jamaica and did the same thing. And they went to Central and South, right? Like this is what we did. This is how the map is what it is. This is how India became kind of British in some ways. This, like this went in all directions. We take land. Why do we do it? Because of this verse. Cursed be Canaan. And so if you're less, I can take your land. Who says? The church does. Where did the church find this? Well, the church replaced Noah's voice, acted like it was God who cursed Canaan, because Ham had done something wrong. And the punishment is forever, you're less. And that's God's will. That's the curse of Canaan, okay? When, if you ever hear that phrase or you read that, think of land, because it's particularly on land. But something else happened in church history. Around the 1400s, we weren't satisfied with, with land alone. And this is, we're family, so this is ugly talk. We just, we got to talk straight, right? People who looked like me were not satisfied with just taking land. We already got that. So what was known as the curse of Canaan changed names to what is called the curse of Ham. Ham is the one who went in, right? That's the name of the son who went in and saw the nakedness of his father. The curse of Ham became the defense for creating the idea of race and for creating slavery. That was the church's defense. The nation of Portugal was the first one to really become good at it. And they went with the church's blessing and they went into the heart of Africa and they went to one tribe and said, if you will go to war with that tribe and sell us the people, we will take them. And they came to the shores of Portugal and through an event early in the morning before the people were really awake because these, these people with dignity who had been put on the bottom of a boat wouldn't be expressing their lament as much early in the morning if they woke them up and put them up. And they sold them into slavery with the idea that our difference in hue is the curse of Ham. The idea was that Canaan had black skin. That was the curse. And if you have black skin, that is a mark for everyone to see that you're to be a slave. You're less. 
Sorry, this, this is tough talk, but church needs to talk about it. Church has been behind it, right? We talked a, a few weeks ago, or maybe a month and a half ago, about Cain and the distinction that God put on Cain, if you remember. That's the other place where people were like, well, if it wasn't Ham, then it was Cain. When God put a mark on Cain, it was he turned his color. Now, what does that mean? That means that people had to believe that Noah and everyone else were lily white. Somehow, people in, in like the, the Middle East, their skin was naturally like lily, lily white. And they got off the boat lily white. And as a mark to punish, God gave someone black skin. And my mom remembers and knows what the, the paper bag test is. And some of these things in our culture, which sure, some people within the church today are arguing, well, there is not slavery, so the answer to it is let's just worship together and love one another. That's a big piece of it. We do need to love one another. But we need to be honest that this is how we got here. Because right now, this week, there's two trials that come from this. I would argue there's two trials in our country that the world are watching, that the permission slip for the white men come from this. We have the trial in Wisconsin where the young man feels like he can go at 17 years old and be the law and protect a city that is not his city. And he feels that his motives should never be questioned. And he, that's his reality. We have somehow Ahmad Aubrey is almost on trial. He's, he's not with us anymore because he was killed by three people who felt like it was their right because of their hue and because of his hue. And if he would have just stopped and let them arrest him for no reason, well, then it'd be fine. But he wanted to finish his run, and how dare he? And they had cars and weapons, and I know that I'm a little biased in how I'm saying it, but we're family. I, I, I have to be me, okay? I know they had, they had guns and they had trucks, and how dare he be afraid? And it's because he was afraid that then they became afraid. They were shocked that he'd respond that way. And we need to be upset about laws and about systems that are built that keep perpetrating this, okay? We need to. But we also need to be honest that this started with us. This started in the church. The permission slips were filled out by leaders like me. And then they weren't challenged. And then we ignored this curse and instead talked about, well, what, what did Ham do wrong? Right? You hear that? Well, what is it that he did in Noah to deserve this? We're often asking the wrong question. But we need to be wise and realize that this, this is what the curse of Ham and the curse of Canaan to this day is understood as. Maybe someone should not be slave anymore, but they are less. Some are more in the image of God and some are less. And I'm asking one church, can we be people who are vigilant to look for where this curse sneaks its way in?
to our lives, individually and corporately? Can we look for ways? Maybe it isn't even on race. Maybe it's on economic. This can slide all over, right? We know that we are amazingly good at othering people. Maybe this has to do with citizenship or anything like this. Can we be people who are vigilant to say, no, image bearers are image bearers. Everybody. Everybody. And if there's a part of me that doesn't believe that, then I need to come before God and have God root that out of me. And there's a, if there's a part of us that doesn't believe that, then we need to come together and say, how, how do we rectify this? Because we can't keep this alive in our, in our thinking, in our belief. That makes some sense? Okay, so the origin of this is not in what Noah really said. It's in how the church has, has chosen to really do what it wanted to do. I want land and I want labor for free. And it used the Bible and weaponized the Bible. And this is the space that that happens. So when that comes up, not if, when that comes up with people, turn to Genesis 9, okay? When the idea comes up, this is where you go. If you need names and dates, I've got them all. I read like 20 hours this week on this and vomited several times because it's so sick. Uh, we, we could workshop it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you cheat sheets, whatever you need, but let's be people who are aware and can talk on this one. Because the evil that is lurking at the door, the sin that is lurking at the door, is that we just get distracted and that we just don't know. And then we just worry about other things. And then we just let it slide. And like, no, when it's talking about equity of image bearers, when it's talking about who has the access to the throne of grace, the cross of Jesus, that's anybody. Okay. So that's the, that's the twisted theology part. Can I give you a little pastoral thought in the middle of this too? Okay. That's the heavy one. This one's not so heavy. Okay, go towards the beginning. And if, if you can recall, if you've been here the last couple weeks, we've talked a lot about God grieving, right? We've talked about that when Noah came off the boat, he wasn't like super excited, like, yeah, now I can stretch. He was, everything was gone. Everything was maybe decreated and then recreated and not what he's used to. Then God speaks this beautiful covenant over Noah. And in verse 20, we see Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. So here's what God laid on my heart this week. It's just Noah and his descendants as far as he can see. Every direction he looks, it's just them. And life's kind of been destroyed and if it's me, my desire is to, like, go. Get me far away from this ark. That's where, like, the pain happened, right? Let me go somewhere else. Let me outrun this. Let me get somewhere else. Let me find something that I like better. But Noah's response to the covenant of God was he planted a vineyard. That's not immediate. You plant a vineyard, you're going to be there a minute. Those vines need to grow. 
grapes need to come. Let's be honest, he didn't plant the vineyard because he liked grapes. Then that wine needs to ferment. He's making a statement. He's going to rest in that place for a minute. He's going to be there. And he's going to know God's covenant, but he's not going to outrun it. So Jeremiah 29, we love this verse, right? Jeremiah 29, the, cap the setting is captivity. People are in captivity. And God speaks this beautiful, beautiful word. What is the word? You guys know it. Yes. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to not to harm you. What do I want to do? Matt, if I am in captivity and I hear God say that, I want to run to his plans. I want to hightail it and get to his plans. What does God say right before? If you don't know, write it in your phone, look it up later. Verses 5, verses 6, verses 7 of Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 is exactly what you think it is. I'm not changing the verse. But I want you to know the context is God says, no, plant gardens. You're in captivity, plant gardens there. Build houses. Marry with the people around you. Seek the well-being, the peace of the city. Yes, you're in captivity. Make that your home. It's not captivity. Your home is my promise on you. But you don't have to outrun the pain that you're in. You don't have to outrun the captivity that you're in. Do it right here. My promise is coming true right here. And so they plant a garden. Who could plant a garden on Sunday and eat the fruit or the vegetables on Monday? Nobody. You're there for seasons. We know we did yours. We just did my new one. That first season is really just changing the soil. It's not even getting the vegetables. That second one pops. That third one, wow. All of a sudden you get that right. Two, three years down the road, you've got a great garden. That's not 10 minutes later. There's, that miracle girl wasn't there. A verse that I love so much, I've got it tattooed on my arm, John 16. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. Everything is changing. Jesus acknowledges the trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And he says, I have overcome the world. The promise there, I've overcome it. But what does he tell you and I to do? Not to roll up our sleeves and go overcome it for him. He's already done that. He says, but take heart. Take heart. There's trouble. You don't have to outrun it. You don't have to be this like warrior until I call you to be. What do you do? You take heart and believe the overcoming is more than the trouble. Believe that the promise of Jeremiah is more than the captivity that they're in. Believe that the covenant of Noah is more than the grief of Noah. And in that place, plant a vineyard, plant a garden, take heart. We don't have to run. I know that a lot of us are in pain. There's a lot going on. It's a weird season. I told some friends, I don't remember a time, I'm 42, I don't remember a time when people are just more like desperate for Christmas to be joyful and like just kind of sad and honestly sad. Usually we're lying. We're just kind of honestly sad right now. And what do we normally do? We escape. We try to outrun it. 
That's what we do. But the invitation of, of Noah, of Jeremiah in the book of John is in this place, in the place where you are. That's the place where God will bring fulfillment. Now, of course, if God calls you to go, if the Holy Spirit lays that on your heart, then do that. I'm not, I'm not going contrary to that. But I'm saying in general, the ark is don't outrun God. You don't need to. Remember, it is, it's his love that's following after you, not chaos. And so in this place of grief and pain and whatever else you've got going on, plant a vineyard. Plant a garden. Take heart. God's not done. Now, some would say that that is like an act of just being okay with the captivity, of giving in degree. No, that's not what we're talking about. This is actually an act a little bit of defiance to that. If you look at people who have really been in captivity, beautiful art emerges. If you look at really dark places, people find that flower. And that's not, oh, I'm justifying what I meant. No, this is the places where God breaks through, where the kingdom breaks through. And so in our lives, as stuff is hard, let's lean on each other, let's share with one another, let's pray together. And in that space, let's be the people who plant vineyards, who plant gardens, who take heart. Because in that place, not only will there be fruit, but it's that place where God's promise is coming true. It's that place where God's covenant is kept. As I close, there's this quote I want to read you that gives me so much hope. This theologian named Bruner says, The certainty of a believer's faith does not rest on the believer themselves, but on the revealer in whom he believes. So I'm not certain about much in my life. I'm not certain about much about even me. I've changed so much the last few years. But more than ever in my life, I am certain about Jesus. More than ever in my life, I am certain that our God is good and near and with us. More than ever, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't even pretend anymore. But here in this place, here in this church, here at my house, I'm planting gardens. I'm taking heart. And I'm hoping you will with me. I'm going to pray to close. And uh, we've been having groups lately. We are going to have, but we're just going to have one, okay? Because some of the deeper theological stuff, we can talk about that later. What's more important is like, what is God doing in us? And if you want a space to pray with someone or just have that honest conversation about what God's doing, let's kind of collect right up here. If you're not interested in having that right now, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Hang out with people, say hi, take off, God bless you, all that kind of stuff. But I, we just want to give you a couple minutes to further process, okay? Let's pray together.